Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 through 24. And as you're turning there, before we read the text, I want to say that when when preachers come to this kind of text, um, this is the kind of stuff that's just kind of easy to preach, right? Because I get to like step on your toes and get in your business and, and meddle and all those kinds of things. And, and that's, frankly, that's easy to do. But this is also the kind of passage that's very, very difficult to preach. Because as we just read with Moses, yes, the people were being ridiculous desiring to go back to slavery. But then when you read Moses' response, you realize very quickly that standing up here doesn't make me any more holy or less prone to my flesh than sitting out there does you. And so these sermons become very, very convicting and therefore very difficult to preach. So know that as I preach this and and say hard things, I'm not saying this to you or at you. But I'm simultaneously saying this and sitting there with you, letting the Spirit convict me. Because I need to hear it just as much. So let's give our attention to this passage beginning in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Most gracious Father, we ask that you would add your blessing to this reading of your word. And I ask that you would strengthen me by your spirit, that I might preach it clearly, that we might be comforted by your gospel and challenged to live in light of it. We ask this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, this is really fundamentally a passage about putting off and putting on, thus the title. It's a a passage that, that fundamentally is about putting off the flesh, or as Paul calls it here, the old man, and putting on Christ or or the new man. It's a passage that is about how it is that we're to live as Christians. We're, We're fully into the imperative section of the book of Ephesians with this passage. And Paul here is picking back up on the thought that he begun in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, before he interrupted himself. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He began this imperative section calling us to walk or, or to live in a certain way, and then he interrupted himself for this brief discourse on the unity of the body of Christ, reminding us of the reality of who we are as a people in Jesus Christ. And now in verse 17, he goes back to that original thought of instructing the Ephesians and us in how it is that we are to walk in light of the gospel. Now, I want to be very, very clear right up front that Paul is not here teaching us how to become a Christian. That is, he's not teaching us in, in this section the way into the kingdom of God. We, we must be very, very clear on that. It's an incredible temptation for all of us to, to see the way into the kingdom of God as somehow being connected with our performance that we stand justified before God because we've gotten enough things right. That's not what is happening here. Here Paul is writing to those that he knows to be in Christ Jesus and he is teaching them how to live in light of that glorious reality. He's writing to those that he said earlier that now, though you were strangers, though you were aliens to the promises of God, now... In Christ, you have been brought near. You have been brought into the kingdom. You have been brought into Jesus Christ by grace through faith. The Holy Spirit has done this in each of us that find ourselves in Christ Jesus. And so he's writing to explain to us and to, to help us understand how it is that we live as insiders how it is that we live as those who have been brought out of slavery, who have been brought out of exile, who have been brought out of our alienation and brought into the kingdom of God and brought into Jesus Christ. And he begins by saying that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's reminding us that there was, in fact, a way that we once lived. And yes, we were alienated, and he's dealt with all of the indicatives of how we were. We, we were alienated, we were separated, we were in our sin, we were in bondage, but now we have been brought into Christ. And so now he picks up on that same shift, that same transformation in our essence, in who we are, and teaches us that there should be a similar ethical transformation. Just as I am no longer alienated, just as you are no longer alienated and in bondage to your sin, but now in Christ, so you should no longer live, so I should no longer live as a slave to my sin, but now as a slave to Christ. The passage that we read earlier in Numbers 11 illustrates the struggle so perfectly. And if we can get back uh, or get away from our, our propensity, to just kind of read that and think about how ridiculous the Israelites were being, we see that it is a great picture of us. Longing for the fish and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and, and all of the things that we got to eat, this minor fleshly convenience that we longed for, even though it was given in the context of brutal slavery. We long for that over the provision of God that is given in the context of having been set free from all of that. 
We read that story and we think, oh my word, how ridiculous can you be? Y'all were enslaved. You, you were under harsh taskmasters. You were building a kingdom for entirely somebody else's pleasure. And you got to partake in none of the goodness of that. And now you have been freed from that. And God is miraculously providing food for you. Manna is coming down from the heavens and there's always enough. And you never run out and it never goes bad. And somehow you think slavery is better. And we go, that's ridiculous. What are they thinking? But we also see the flesh of Moses. The flesh of ministers. If I can be honest and a little transparent for a moment, it's not that I don't love you, but I I get where Moses is coming from sometimes. Who are these people that you have given me? I can't do this. This is ridiculous. How could you expect this of me? You know what? If you would show me favor, just let me die. (laughs) Can I be that honest? That's my flesh as well. That's my flesh just like your longing for the things that you have been delivered from is your flesh. And Paul is saying that this is how the Gentiles walk. And he's using Gentiles here for for all of those who are not part of the people of God. And he says that the way they walk, he defines the manner for us in the futility of their minds. In the emptiness, the fruitlessness, the uselessness, the idleness of their minds. We would do very, very well here to understand very clearly exactly what Paul is saying. He is saying that the mind separated from Christ, untransformed, unrenewed by the gospel and by the work of the Spirit, no matter how smart we think it is, no matter how infallible we think it might be, no no matter how much we think we can helpfully and rightly depend on it, the mind untransformed by the gospel is futile. That is an incredibly bold statement. It's not, what he's not saying is that the mind cannot grasp anything about life to make life work from day to day. Clearly, that's not what he's saying because the mind is quite capable of doing that. Nor is he saying that somehow faith Belief in the gospel, walking in Christ, is somehow at odds with being rational. That's also not what he's saying. Faith, I I saw a, a marquee on a church here in Faulkner County that said, faith is the enemy of reason. No, that sign is the enemy of reason. Paul is not opposing faith and reason here. He's recognizing that when it comes to discerning spiritual truth, when it comes to discerning true righteousness, when it comes to discerning what holiness actually is, what faithfulness actually looks like, what actually is true of God, that the human mind, untransformed by the gospel, is useless. It's futile. It's empty. 
Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 63 is recorded as saying, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Paul is taking that general principle there and applying it directly to the mind. Because the Gentiles, like us, like everyone, has an incredible tendency to believe that my mind is what I can trust. That I can think clear thoughts. That as one famous philosopher said, I think therefore I am. That that that's where I can begin and can reason myself from there to truth. Paul says, no. No. Rather, you're darkened in your understanding. He put it in Romans chapter 1 this way, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Alienated from the life of God, he says. We think that if we apply our our faculties to the issue before us, to the problems before us, that we can figure it out and we can make sense of all different kinds of things and and, and we can reason our, our way into a better understanding of God. All these different things. But we forget that we're alienated from the very thing that we're trying to make it to. And we're trying to make it there with an organ that is useless for leading us on such a journey. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance which is in them due to the hardness of their heart. That's the issue. We live in this ignorant state apart from Christ that we think is is unbelievably enlightened, that we think is unbelievably wise, and that we can get the world to agree with us about its wisdom. But it's a position of ignorance. It's a position that, that flows from stubbornness of heart. Dullness, insensibility, obstinacy. It's not just that our our fleshy mind can't rightly reason out that which is true, but that when we're walking in the futility of our fleshly mind, we're obstinate to what is true. We hear God's call to righteousness, to faith. And our deceived mind, our stubborn heart, our alienated head says, I will not. And it says it emphatically. 
I will not do that. He continues his description saying that we've lost all feeling. That that's where we are. We've lost all feeling. Joe Novison, though he doesn't know it, one of, of my heroes uh, as, as a minister, he's the pastor at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church in, uh, just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. He, he's, if you want a good podcast to listen to, find that one and, and listen to every sermon. But he tells the story of his own life that, that he endured some accident when he was younger that crushed both of his hands. And left him now, though his hands can move and he can use them, he has no feeling in them. And he tells this story to to illustrate this point right here. That because he has no feeling in his hands, he can't feel, but he also, to, to use his line, he can't feel what he can't feel. So he doesn't know if his hand is on a burner that is on or on a piece of paper that will cause no harm. And so he says his hands are often in various states of injured because he simply can't feel the things that you and I feel to pull our hand back from the hot flame or from the sharp knife or whatever it may be. Paul says when we operate in our flesh, in the old man, that this is how we are, not just with our hands, but entirely. That we've lost feeling. And the problem with this is illustrated well by Dr. Novison's story of his own life, that we can't feel what we can't feel. We think... We're just resting our hand on something, but in fact, we're scorching it against our own knowledge. We think that we're just pursuing something that might be helpful from this world, but in fact, we're scorching our own soul. We've lost all sensitivity to the things of God and to the dangers of the world. There's always, every time there's a school shooting or, or some other act of violence that, that involves some teenager, there's always all kinds of talk about the desensitization that happens through the violence of the things that we entertain ourselves with. And usually it comes back to video games because they seem to be particularly just willing to throw us into simulating violence. And I think there is something to that for what it's worth. That what we play as a game affects how we think about life. We all actually think this. This is why we spend so much time and effort and money in youth sports under the idea that they learn things in these games, they learn things in these practices, they learn things in this discipline that they can carry on into life. But then when it comes to like, well, maybe I shouldn't play this game that is bent on killing people, that whole idea goes right out the door. That was a side note. 
losing all feelings that, that we means that, that to, to use the, the lexical definition of this word means that, that we've become so accustomed to something that we're no longer bothered by the implications of what we're doing. That's the problem with sin. That's the problem with our old man. That's the problem with our flesh. Is we've become so accustomed to what it is that we're doing that we lose all regard for the implications of what we're doing. We've become callous. We've lost feeling. He continues to describe it. We've given ourselves to sensuality. To a lack of self-constraint which involves us in conduct that violates the bounds of what is socially acceptable. This is the reality of our flesh. We, we want there to be something good in it, something salvageable, something that, that we can, it, it just needs to be fixed up a little bit. We just need to, to look at our flesh and, and ask that question, you know, well, what are the parts that bring you joy and keep those parts and dispense with the rest of it as if we're just cleaning out a closet? but we're given to gain from every uncleanness. And the language that, that, that is used here in the ESV, they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kinds of impurity. We're used to reading those and, and importing all of the, the and specifically the, the sexual sins that come with that language, and certainly that is part of it. That is part of what we are being called away from, but we must not limit what Paul is saying here just to that. Because we can be just as given to, to the sensuality and gain of uncleanness and, and greed in, in our work and in our relationships and, and in all kinds of things. We need not limit the propensity of sin in our flesh. Paul says, this is how the Gentiles walk, and this is not how you are to walk. Verse 20, but you didn't learn Christ this way. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And then he gives this command to put off. To put off. The old man. Which belongs to your former manner of life. We are very, very, very tempted, encouraged by the world to take a good look inside and, and find our true self and live according to it. And this is an utterly unbiblical idea. Paul says what we're to do it's to see our, our flesh, our natural self, our, our old man our, that is defined according to the former manner of life and to put it off. Not dress it up. Not find the parts that, that we like 
and invest in them and improve them, but to put it off. Put off that old man defined according to the former manner of life. And then he says, the one that is corrupt according to the lusts of deceit. That's what we're to put off. This old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. See, that's the problem with thinking that, no, this, this is who I truly am. And I just need to improve on this. The problem with trying to improve our flesh instead of slay it, the problem with that is it's necessarily deceitful. It's necessarily deceiving us. Its desires are wrong. Its desires are misleading. Its desires are centered on self and finding pleasure in that. The idea that has become so popular in so much thinking of our true self and our false self is bankrupt. It's utterly bankrupt. Biblically speaking, there's our old self that we are told quite clearly to put off. And our new self that we're told quite clearly to put on. When we start trying to do something else, we're walking as the Gentiles do. We're living according to our old manner of life. And part of the deceitfulness of all of these inordinate desires in whatever direction they may go, part of the deceitfulness is that they will tell us that this old man is more truly who we are than the new man. And that what we're called to do is be true to ourselves. And this is a lie imported from hell and nothing short. The greatest deceit of our lusts and our flesh and this corrupt old man is convincing us, convincing us that it's who we truly are, that it's who we were meant to be, or that who we're meant to be can be found in some sanctified version of that old man. And it can't. Rather, Paul says in verse 23, that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. If our mind in the old man, if our fleshy mind is futile and useless and broken, it needs to be made new. We see the same thing in Romans 12. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Same point, same language being made here. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We need to learn to think about life differently and not just a little 
better. We, we don't need John Maxwell or, or whoever to, to help shape our old ways of thinking into something better. We need that to be put to death. We need that to be put off. We need newness to come in how we think about life, how we think about who God is, how we think about who we are, how we think about how we're to live a life of righteousness and truth. We need to be made new. We don't just need the furniture rearranged. We need the house torn down and rebuilt entirely. Annie and I love to go for walks after meals around our neighborhood, and we've gotten to know one of our neighbors, an absolutely delightful old man who knows proudly all the gossip in the neighborhood. So he's a good guy to know. And there was a house that was being redone just a couple doors down from him. And we we're like, man, they've done such a great job with that. And he was like, yeah, I don't know. And we we're like, what? He's like, I mean, it looks really good. But I know what condition that house was in. And I haven't seen electricians and plumbers spend near enough time there for me to be comfortable. That's the problem that we all have. We don't have the bones of who we are being redone. We're quite content to plaster over it with a fresh coat of, of spackle and some robin's egg blue and some, you know, tin roof and make it look just super cute. Rather than seeing the whole thing destroyed and rebuilt rightly. And Paul is saying that's what we need as Christians. That's what the Christian life is about. Being renewed, being made new in the spirit of our mind. Putting on the new man. We've put off, we've undressed ourselves. Kids, we've taken off the coat. We've got to put something back on. And it's this new man that we're to put back on. Paul says in Romans 13, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We're to dress ourselves in Christ. We're to dress ourselves in the new man, the one made according, recreated according to God in his likeness, according to his standard. Again, not that we might find his favor, but because this is who he's made us to be in Jesus Christ. This is what the Spirit does in us. He, he gives us a new mind that we might discern what is the will of God, His good and pleasing and perfect will. He teaches us to think rightly about life, that we might prioritize true righteousness and holiness in all things. He, he teaches us to, to give, give up on this life, that we might rest in Jesus Christ and walk in Him. See, if this happens, it's really the only way that, that we can truly sing in faith that hymn that we sang earlier. Take my life and let it be. 
that, that goes so meticulously through every aspect of who we are and gives it away. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands, let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be full of messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold. Now he's getting real. Not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use it. Every power as you would choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart it is thine own. Take my love. Take myself. That's what Paul's calling us to here. The full giving over of who we are to Christ. The, the complete letting go and putting off and putting to death our flesh. And it's scary. It is so scary to live life with such open hands. Because our flesh is there to say, but over here we had fish and leeks and onions and garlic. And we'll say nothing about slavery. And we'll say nothing about being oppressed. And we'll say nothing about sin. And we'll say nothing about death. But only about those things that seem to satisfy it. And God calls us to put that all away and live over here. And the only way, the only way that we have the security in this life to do that is in Christ Jesus. Because He died that we might have life. And He has poured out His Spirit to, to, to make us new, to renew us after the image of Christ. That's what He's doing. To renew us in true righteousness. And He will never leave or forsake us. And no one that is given to Him will ever be ripped from His hand. And unless we understand that gospel truth, the security that is ours, the perseverance of the saints that is ours in Christ, not because of us, but because of Him and His Spirit at work in us, unless we get that, we will never be willing to let go of this. Because we'll always want an insurance policy. And Christ says, let go. Let go. Let go of trying to establish your hope and your security and your identity according to your flesh in this world. And put me on. 
Me who is sitting at the right hand of my heavenly Father. Me who has been given all kingdoms and all authority and all power. Me who is coming again to bring you into glory. Put me on. That's the Christian life. Not a life of legalism. Not a life of of legalistically trying to keep our flesh in check. But a life of taking that off and putting on Jesus. And we will walk when we do that in true righteousness and holiness. Because it's what he does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the challenges to to who and how we are. And I ask that you would strengthen us, Lord, by your spirit to do this very thing. To by your spirit put to death the deeds of the body, to put off the old man, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new man, created according to the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of Scripture and theology.